Hey, welcome to East Lake. <clears throat> we uh, we got some new legs for our stage this week because the other ones were like super broken. That's why I was falling off all the time. Anyways, um, they're like four inches shorter, which we didn't think would be a big deal, but it feels like a big deal to me. Like I feel like so much shorter, so less impressive to you. Um, and uh, so if, if you're like something's different up there, uh, this I guess I know what it feels like to be like five six right now. So I don't like it. So um, anyways. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's different. So my wife, my wife first service goes. It's kind of nice. We put you on a pedestal way too much. So it's nice to have a little change of scenery for a second. So <laughs> kudos to her. All right. Uh, so I imagine that there's a few of you who opened up your program or saw heard it on the video today or whatever the title of our new series and thought, oh, so that's why she insisted that we come together today. Um, uh, We've all been in the situation before where we heard something on a podcast, read something in a book, or listened to a talk, something like this, and and you sat there and you thought, oh, wow, do you know who needs to hear this? Not me, but somebody that I know, right? My high school kid, my my boyfriend, my my wife, whatever. Uh, You know you can't overtly say, like, hey, you should definitely listen to this because that just stir up the bee's nest and you don't want to do that. Uh, so try and find covert ways uh, to do those things. The other thing that doesn't generally work is inviting me to coffee with you and that other person who you think needs to hear it and be like, hey, Brent, like really slyly, hey, you were talking about something on Sunday. It was so good. Why don't you just say it in the exact same way that you said it uh, with the exact same amount of passion here at Roasters? Would you be able to do that? And I'd be like, no, I can't do that. Uh, so that's not going to work. But uh, it's going to be a series on relationships and whether or not you're married or not or in a long-term relationship currently or not, there's a good chance that you have been in some sort of a romantic, intimate relationship um, or there's a chance that you want to be in one. And uh, so these, I, I hope that this is kind of just good life advice that um, would be helpful in that way, especially in the area of relationships. Now, personal caveat, anytime I talk about relationships, we typically do these series once every 12 to 18 months or so. Um, it's by far the most downloaded and like from a podcast standpoint, the one that we see the most amount of action in terms of plays and and all that kind of stuff. But um, I also I always have to give like a personal caveat because my wife sat here in first service right here on the right-hand side. And as I'm giving all this relationship advice out, she goes, that's really great. Like, good for you. But like, where's this version of Brent? How do I meet him? He sounds dreamy. I'd love to talk to him someday. Um, so I'm telling you what I think you should do. Not necessarily what I have a track record of being an expert at doing, all right? Now, that's true for, like, everything I ever talk about, but I always feel like when it comes to relationships, uh, there's, there's even added pressure in that way. So, and it's always a humbling experience because as I talk about, here's some, like, steps in good relationships or whatever. As I'm writing this message the other day, it was like a Thursday or something like that, um, a, a shared iCal event comes through. So my wife and I, if she adds something to the family calendar, it shows up on my phone and vice versa, right? And it's a uh, marriage counseling appointment that her and I have scheduled for like a month and a half later. It was like very, very humbling to be like, okay, just because you're writing a message on this does not mean that we don't need uh, work on it ourselves. So um, here's the deal. The reason why we do these and why I'm so passionate about these is because I want you to have better than normal relationships. I think... I'm biased. I know that. I'm a pastor. I have to be biased. I think people of faith should have better than normal relationships. 
because of the focus on grace, forgiveness, and love that week in and week out, you come and we hear about this and we hear about um, the grace that has been extended to us, our imperfections, but a God who loves us anyways, who then calls us to go out and to wear love in the same way with others that he has loved us. All of that should, should play into our relationships. I think that there should be a noticeable difference in the research data for people of faith and people who don't subscribe to any faith. Now, I'm not saying that we're better than them. I'm not saying that, like, and especially if you're here and you're not really a, a, a person of faith, like, I don't think that um, uh, that Christianity, like, uh, like, is better in that in this way than that. But I just think when you when you when the basis of Christianity, as it is, is I'm a person who is deeply broken and yet still deeply loved. I'm more broken than I ever cared to admit. I'm more deeply loved than I care to admit, or than I than I tend to understand. Um, I've been a recipient of unmerited grace, and I've been called to wear love as a response to that sort of grace. I think that that should have an implication in your relationship. I think it should influence the way that you um, lead and, uh, and subscribe to interpersonal relationships. So <clears throat> your beliefs should influence your actions, and if they don't, if they remain the category of mental convictions with no bear on behavior, I'm not convinced that we're really understanding the calling to wear love in the way that Jesus expected of his followers. So uh, one also caveat, I'm a little bit under the weather. So if you're like, boy, he sounds like super nasally today or whatever, like this isn't, who is this guy? Um, I'm trying my best. This is throat coat. We'll see how we do. But uh, just passing that off. All right. A note about scripture for this series too. Um, We're going to be a little bit more sporadic in terms of how we typically go through a series. If, if you're like way more of an in-depth thing, like the, the last two series ago, we did one on wear love. We went in-depth in First Corinthians and Paul's writings to the churches there. Um, super great. This is going to be a little bit more like from a, um, I, I say generally scripturally holistic standpoint. And the reason is Paul never wrote the handbook on how to handle complicated and difficult relationships for the 21st century. He may have written it, um, we just don't have it. So we got to kind of take our learnings from this from some different areas. So let me talk about who this is for. <clears throat> Anybody who has ever asked me out to coffee and tried to as quickly as possible, but in the least awkward way possible, turn the conversation towards, listen, I need to talk about my broken relationship. That's why I actually invited you here, right? Um, or <clears throat> anybody who is planning on getting married and doesn't want to turn into the person that I just described, or anyone who is generally trying to become the type of person that the person you're looking for is looking for. We, we came up with that phrase a few years ago uh, and the idea of, every, you know, we get constantly people going, I just want to find myself a good girl. And then you have to like have that heart to heart conversation with them. But like, that kind of a girl isn't looking for a guy like you, dude. Um, so you gotta, you've got to become somebody that the type of person you're looking for is looking for. So whether you're here today by choice or by deception, uh, whether you're the inviter or the invited, uh, whether you're watching this online because somebody bribed you and said this would be, I think, I think really good for you. Don't take this the wrong way, but I think you would really enjoy this. Um, I think this is going to be a fun series. So I want to start it off by talking about complexity and chaos. Uh, the world that we live in and inhabit today is incredibly complex and chaotic, yet it doesn't always feel that way. Like the world that we live in, I don't have, you, you grew up going to, you know, biology, you learned about photosynthesis and how um, all of the, the sunlight is turned into energy and how that energy takes carbon dioxide and the air turns into oxygen from the planet. Like it's incredibly complex, not only the ecosystem that we work in and, and, and we live, uh, live in. Um, but uh, the, the way that our bodies are formed, the way that we fight off sickness, or in my case, not very well, um, the, the, the way that, um, uh, like, everything, like, our, our world is <clears throat> incredibly complex. 
And yet, we crave simplicity in the midst of it. We're not, we're not really drawn towards chaos. We are pretty much anti-chaos. We pay a lot of people, a lot of companies, a lot of car companies, lots of money to take things that are complex and make them less chaotic, take the chaos out of it, and provide us with something that's simple. I want simplicity in the, in the world of chaos. And this has been true for mankind forever, right? So even the Old Testament, the Old Testament describes for, um, uh, for the belief system of the Jews kind of growing up, this idea that the sea represented chaos for them. The, the Mediterranean Sea, the ocean, the, the whatever, all of the, the waves, the instability of that sort of thing, the fact that we don't know what's really out there, they didn't have maps of the entire world at that time. For them, it was like, this is just the big blue thing, and it either ends in a cliff or it goes off into nothing, or we don't know. When people try and go that, that, that way, they oftentimes never come back. So water for them represented chaos. So anytime you see massive amounts of water, especially the sea, oftentimes it was a semblance of chaos for them. So uh, the ark, Noah's ark, on, on, the, on the big giant flooding that takes place. Uh, in the creation story, the spirit of God hovers over the waters, hovers over the chaos of existence and brings order to it. We crave order. We, are pushed, we, we push ourselves away from chaos, <clears throat> which is why we pay Toyota or Honda or whoever it is that we have a car with to say, take, I don't, listen, I don't want to hear about the internal combustion engine and how it all works together. I want it so that when I put the key in and I turn it, it comes on. That's what I want. And when I push the gas pedal, I want to move forward. That's really, I don't need, you're going to give me an instruction manual. It's going to have all of the different graphics and illustrations and all this kind of stuff. I'm not going to read it. I'm never going to read that. It's going to sit in my glove box forever. The only time I would read it is if something happens to go wrong, and even then, this is all foreign language to me. I know nothing about this, right? The only time we're confronted with the complexity of our vehicle is when something isn't functioning the way that we thought it should, when we are not getting the type of response. We expect this, and we get something else. Therefore, we go to the manual, and obviously that doesn't help. Um, So then we pop the hood, and we act like that helps, and we're like looking around going... If you're like me, it looks like a couple of hoses and some belts and some wires. And then our wife says, how's everything looking? And I say, pretty normal. I have no idea. Nothing is visibly on fire. So I think that that's good. But uh, I don't know much. So then what happens is we do what you do and I do. We take our car to somebody who has far more expertise in the area. And we say, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that thing that's making that sound. Or I want you to take this. I, I expect it to do this and it's not doing this. And I want you to use your expertise to make that expected result happen, right? And then you hand hand them the keys. And then two hours later, they call you and say, hey, we figured out the problem. You've got a serpentine belt that goes, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, I don't care. I don't care. What time do I pick it up? That's what I want to know. That's what I want to know. And how much is it going to cost me? That's also what I want to know. In fact, I want to know that more than when when can I come pick it up. How much is it going to cost me? And, uh, and, I, and I don't care, like, good, thank you. We act interested when they tell us all the work that they did for it. And we're like, I believe you, like, great, fine. I, I want predictability when it comes to the complex thing that is my vehicle. Now, here's the deal. The reason I bring up that is because relationships are inherently complex. Now, there may be periods of time in your life, and you may be experiencing one of those periods of your life right now, where relationships are easy, where it just feels like everything's great, like, 
We never get angry, and even when we do and we fight, it's not that big of a deal. In fact, I'll do pre-marriage uh, counseling for some people. I'll be like, tell me about your last fight. And it's so cute. They're always like, oh, it was not, like, we hardly ever fight. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool. It's great. So it's not real. So let's talk about when you, when you actually fight. Like, what does it look like? Like, describe your fighting process. Does, does somebody pull away? Does somebody cold shoulder? Do they get angry? Does the voice volume raise? Does they, do they start bringing in things? And, and, and it's so funny because at first it is. It's fun. It's, it's to be like, oh, we fought like, it, you couldn't even call it a fight. We had this disagreement of sorts and then we, then we resolved it. But like, that's not real. That's not real, right? And anybody who's been married for any length of time goes, I remember that phase. That's called the honeymoon phase. But then what you realize is that Marriages and relationships and long-term relationships are complex, and they, there is an underlying chaos of all of this that when, 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 it's, when they're behaving correctly, everything's simple. Things are only simple when things are behaving correctly. But listen, people are complex. You are complex. You're a complex being. I am a complex being. We have different desires and things that, 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 uh, that make us angry, things that make us happy, things that, uh, and we bring those into relationship. Now, the tendency can be, a lot of times, the longer that you're in a relationship, um, the less complex the other person can seem. Oh, listen, I've, we've known each other for 30 years. We've been married for 25. I know what she likes. I know what he doesn't like. I know all of these things. We're in, we've, uh, we, and the problem with that is we can become... Um, we can live in denial of the complexity of that person just because we've been around it so much. We have not invested in the maintenance of the relationship. We've left odd noises ignored or unaddressed, and eventually our expectations aren't meshing, meshing up in the reality. And we find ourselves doing that thing where we're in our car pushing buttons, pressing pedals, being like, hey, this should work. Why isn't this working? This should work. This is how it's always worked. And, and, and now we're fighting, and this should work. I always do this. I say sorry we move on, you smile and say, it's okay, and that's it. That's worked for 15 years. How is it not working now, right? And we fail to see the complexity of these relationships. And we use phrases like this, oh, all I said was, or all I did was. And we fail to see the interconnectedness of how something that happened last month or that you said last month affects anything that is happening right now. Because so many times we have a narrowness, a narrowed view of causal connections between um, like something that's broken and something we did. If, something, if, if all of a sudden we know something is broken, we look to the immediate past to figure out what happened. When oftentimes there's something that has been nagging for a long, long time. And they would say, it's, it, this is the straw that broke the camel's back, but listen, this has been a problem that's been affecting us for a long, long time. And, and we were like, I don't think so, because when I did that multiple times, it never really mattered. You never specify, we never talked about that kind of stuff. And so now I'm focused on the here and then now I'm focused on this narrow thing and I refuse to kind of see all of the broadly encompassing things that led up to this moment. And we think now is what's wrong. Now something is wrong. So what happened? Well, what happened is you failed to see that because we're complex, because there's a lot of chaos in just personality and in the fact that Anytime two people decide to do life side by side in, in, a, in a way that's like um, uh, in a relationship or in some sort of a I'll do this, you do this sort of thing, like there's some, there's some friction there. There's gonna be some friction. There's gonna be some frustrations that come up with this sort of stuff. The world is simple only when it 
behaves. When nothing is ever addressed, it always begins to add up. And it's obvious why we don't want to talk about it. Communication requires emission of terrible emotions, emotions like resentment, terror, loneliness, despair, jealousy, frustration, hatred, and boredom. And moment by moment, it's just easier to keep the peace, isn't it? Moment by moment, it's easier to keep the peace. To say phrases like this, it's okay, it's probably not anything worth fighting about. It's okay, I'm gonna deal with this. Listen, if you're in a relationship and you're saying it's fine, it's fine, it frustrates me, but you know what? It, I, I would rather suffer with this than talk about it and get into fights about it in the future. Maybe, but you could also, or one might also say there is little in a marriage that is so little that is not worth fighting about. Oftentimes, the most surefire way to fail is to do nothing, to completely ignore, to not notice, to not react, to not discuss, and to not take responsibility, and instead to just wait for the chaos to resolve itself. To hear something firing off in our car being like, that doesn't sound right. I don't like the sound of that. So therefore, I'm just going to turn the radio up. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, that doesn't, we know that that doesn't fix. That's ridiculous. And yet, we do that when it comes to relationships so many times. Or we say this phrase, oh, I'll just put up with it. I, I, I can, it does frustrate, it's, it's, it's really, it makes me angry, it makes me so mad, but I can just, I'll just put up with it, I'll deal with it, I'll suffer through it myself. Except that when you do this, you're building a case for yourself that you are the peace-loving, patient person, and the person you're in love with is lucky, darn lucky, to have somebody like you who puts up with all of their junk, Right? And in the process, you become more and more of a saint, and they become more and more of a monster in your mind. And now, and then eventually it gets to the point where you can convince yourself, the story that you're telling yourself, the narrative that you've created for yourself is, now they're doing this thing that they know annoys me, and they're still choosing to do it because they're that much of a jerk, and I cannot believe that I find myself. You, you've built this own case up for yourself. Why? Because you've refused to address it. You've refused to talk about it. You've refused to operate with the common maintenance plan that is required of all relationships because what you're dealing with is complexity, not simplicity. The reason that you love simplicity is because that's what's sold to us from a honeymoon phase. In the dating phase, you're getting the best version of that person. In all of the, the pictures of, of healthy marriages and good marriages that we see or relationships that we see from a book standpoint, movie standpoint, those are all selling typically very polished versions of this kind of stuff. Relationships can be that hard, and if they're hard, just get out. Like that's maybe, that's the sign that he's not the right person for you or she's not the right person for you. And we know it's more, we know it's more than that. We want it to be like, I want to be able to fight through something like that. Um, <clears throat> and yet, Oftentimes, we don't do anything with it. So if the first point is essentially this idea of uh, complexity and chaos and that the idea is that we're, the world is only simple, only simple when it behaves, that point number two, if you're taking notes, is specificity is better than vagueness. I want you to talk about it. But when you talk about it, I want you to be very incredibly specific. If we know, if we, if we can get to the point where we're like, okay, it's... It's complex. Anytime you're doing a relationship, it's complex. It deserves our attention. It deserves maintenance, like a good maintenance of a car. Um, But when I address it and when I want to talk about it, I I need to do it in terms that are specific and not vague. To specify a problem is to admit that it exists. To specify it is to say that, that right there, that's the thing that's really frustrating. That's the piece. That's what's bothering me. 
My, Kylie and I had a thing a few months back where she said something that, that was essentially, this should bother me more than it actually does. And I don't remember what it was, and I tried to think about it, and I, I don't want to get it wrong. So I, I, I don't want to say it. But it was, it was like this specific thing that you're doing or that is taking place. Like, I've just kind of put up with it. I haven't talked about it. I haven't brought it up. And now I'm finding myself not even bothered that it's taking place. And that shouldn't be. Like, I should not be okay with the fact that this is happening and, and going specific in this way. Because, by the way, it's okay to say, I'm unhappy. I'm unhappy. If it, you should feel safe enough in a relationship to be able to say, listen, here's the deal. I'm unhappy. But then try and take a guess at what it is that's making you unhappy. I'm unhappy because perhaps it's justified. I should be unhappy. This is what's taking place. This is what you expect me to live with, right? This is, this, there's an imbalance of power in this relationship. There's an imbalance of attention and, and needs or whatever. There's an imbalance going on. I'm unhappy. Perhaps it's justified. Perhaps you're whining immature. We can figure this out, right? Those are definitely two viable options. And if you're the one saying I'm happy, you must be willing to go down the road of perhaps it is because I'm just immature, I don't think that it is, but that's definitely a possibility. And if that's the case, then I, I, I need to talk about it so that I can see, because I'm living with blind spots of my own immaturity. Like, I would want to be able to talk about it. And for that, my significant other, my wife, to be like, nah, it's just you with bloated expectations because of a book that you read or a movie that you watched or like this like polished version of other people's relationships that you see on social media and you think that ours needs to look like that and that they don't have, they're not dealing with the same scum that we're dealing with. That's just immaturity. You're right, babe. I probably need to, to deal with that kind of stuff. Being specific over vague. You have to consciously define the topic of a conversation, particularly when it's difficult. Or <clears throat> it becomes about everything. And everything is too much. Listen to this. Here's why couples stop communicating. No one can have a discussion about everything. I want you to talk about it, but I want you to talk about it in specific terms. Because the problem is if you don't, then discussion leads or leads into a discussion about everything in general. Every argument degenerates into every problem that ever emerged in the past, every problem that currently exists now, and every terrible potential thing that is likely to happen in the future. And the problem with that is it becomes so overwhelming that you do get the shutdown, that you do get the unjustified anger, that you do get the unjustified, or like the over, like I don't, want, I don't know, I don't want to talk about this. It feels like you just keep bringing things up that are completely unrelated to the situation. You're acting as if this is the problem for everything that we're going through. And you keep playing these mind games in yourself about six months from now, a year from now. Do I really want to raise kids with a guy that acts like this? All of these things which are like all over the place. When we speak in vague terms, the boundaries of the conversation are boundless. And it can become overwhelming and it's really not healthy. So instead, you can say this, this exact precise thing. Here's why I think I'm unhappy. This is what's making me unhappy. This exact precise thing, this is what I want. This exact precise thing, this is what you could deliver so that I will stop making your life and mine miserable. Now, speaking with that kind of precision is not easy. It's not simple. Here's what it requires. 
taking a little inventory of your personal life and asking yourself a difficult question, one that I don't think you can just have an answer for right away that is gonna take some time to process through. What is wrong exactly? I'm depressed, I'm unhappy, I'm angry, I'm frustrated. Okay, fine, great, I get it. What do you think is wrong exactly? And what do you want exactly? Help set this relationship up for success by defining what's a win and what's not a win. Help me to know what failure looks like too so that we don't go into a sense of failure but not realize it for six months and then all of a sudden we look back and you go, I want out of this relationship because it feels like a failure to me. Well, how long has it felt like a failure to you? For like six, nine months, five years? I don't know, something like that. And you're like, I didn't even know. You never even defined failure. Be specific. Use precision in your language. Find out what you think and identify it specifically, what it is that you want. What's wrong exactly? Only then can we begin to move forward. Now, here's a passage that I think is so insightful for this. Um, Proverbs, it comes from the book of Proverbs, which is an Old Testament book, but it's an interesting book because it doesn't really match any of the other Old Testament books. So your Bible split up into two, Old Testament, New Testament, right? Old Testament has lots of history in it. So the history of the, of the Israelite people uh, coming out of Egypt and into their new nation, here's the different rules that God gives them. Here's books on law, books on poetry, um, most of them are this king had this son who you know, did this and then here's what they did and whatever. <clears throat> and inter- interspersed in that are books, um, they fall into the poetry category. Um, but the book of Psalms are always um, typically uh, like Psalms of lament or so- Psalms of like, uh, uh, imagine somebody who is like writing their own personal diary, decided to publish it and it's very, it's very out there, but in, and typically in relationship to God and, and I'm frustrated that you're not doing the things that I want you to do or I'm, I'm exuberant and I'm excited about these things. We listen to some of those psalms being read in between every one of our songs on a, on a typical Sunday, right? Um, then what comes after psalms is a book called Proverbs. And Proverbs are wise sayings from some of the, the, the wisdom, it's, the, it's called the wisdom literature of uh, from uh, some Jewish kings, mostly Solomon, Jesus, uh, Jesus, uh, David's son Solomon, um, who was king of Israel at this time, who wrote some great things to say. Who and those 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 wise axioms or or parables or proverbs or whatever are all collected, and they would be given to every Jewish father and mother to be able to train their kids up. Listen, they didn't have. Um, uh, in, in Judaism times, they didn't have schools like we have schools. Like you, you, uh, you send your kid off probably now to get general education from teachers who are expertise, you know, experts in their little field of whatever, right? You expect your math teacher or your kid's math teacher to know more about math than you do. That's why I'm training, having you do this, right? In this uh, arena, they didn't pay taxes to have a public education system. They paid taxes to have a public temple system so that they could go and do kind of the whole sacrificial system deal. Education was taking place at home. Typically, if your dad was a fisherman, you became a fisherman. If your dad was a blacksmith, you became a blacksmith. But in that world, uh, they, they would have, okay, you can teach them practically what it takes to be a fisherman and all that kind of stuff. But in general human being, like how do you train them to be good human beings? How do you train them to have good ethics, good morals, and be generally a good uh, 
community type of person. They would have the correspondence of Proverbs, and they would say, listen, every Jewish parent has a responsibility for their kids to have a familiarity and an understanding of wise sayings about life. These would be things that life has a track record of proving them right, and your kids need to know these things. So um, every Jewish kid would have grown up either memorizing them or at least being very, very familiar with all of the Proverbs in the Old Testament. One of them shows up in this way. This one's written by Solomon. Chapter 25, verse 11, says this. A word fitly spoken is like. A word fitly spoken. And they're gonna say is like. It's called a simile. They're gonna try and uh, uh, draw a virtue uh, with something that would be commonly accepted as something good in the world, all right? Um, so uh, the virtue is a word fitly spoken. And fitly spoken um, is, uh, the, the phrase there is a, like a combination of three different Hebrew words that doesn't show up anywhere else in the Old Testament. And it basically means the right word for the right situation. Like whatever the situation of life is, if you ever met somebody who just knows the right thing to say at the right time? Somebody's going through a grieving process and they just have the right words. It's not like, overly empathetic, that it's cheesy, but it's not like um, so superficial that it doesn't mean anything. It's just like, oh man, the right words at the right time, that's, the, that's what I'm going for. That's what I want to, to be at. Solomon's trying to draw this attention to this. Listen, when you can be specific where the temptation is to be vague, if you can, if you can say something specific that is, is succinctly relevant to the situation, that is good. That's a virtue worth pursuing. It's like, and then he goes on to say, apples of gold in a setting of silver, which like, doesn't sound all that impressive to us. That sounds like something you'd find at like, an estate sale, and you'd be like, I wonder if that's worth anything on eBay, right? Um, and then you like Google, and you're like, no, it's not. Okay, so we're not all too familiar with that sort of a setting. But what he, the concept of it was golden apples in a setting of silver, two precious metals that kind of work alongside each other that, that, that fit those two things in his mind. Fit, those, that's perfect. Imagine, imagine a, a piece of art where the frame is so bad, it actually detracts from the value of the artwork. Or if the art, the piece of art was like not that great, but the frame was ornate. And you're like, those things just, like one of these things is not like the other thing. You know what I mean? Like those things don't fit. He says, when you can take the right circumstance and find the right words to say with specificity, not vagueness, that is like a piece of art that is perfectly fit with its frame. Like that frame brings out the best in that piece of art and vice versa. That's what I love. Now, because again, we don't deal with like a lot of real gold and real silver in our world. Maybe you do and you're wealthier than me. That's fine. Um, but in our world, it would be different. There'd be th- but there are things in our life that under the right circumstance fit. You take them out of that circumstance and it's like, these don't, think, these don't work anymore. So for example, uh, and I'm gonna include this proverb piece as well. A word fitly spoken is like Biscoff's as a mid-flight snack. Do you know what I'm talking about? Bis- yeah, exactly. Biscoff, that little cookie thing that they give you, when you're... On a flight, you're like, yeah, I need a Biscoff. That sounds really, really great. In fact, I'll take two because I'm taking one home for my kids. Uh, and you don't have kids, so you just eat it, right? You're getting two for the price of one. And they're free, and they're great. But you know what? I have never once had a Biscoff outside of a plane, and it doesn't even sound appealing at all. 
If you came up after service and said, I've got a Biscoff in my purse, you want to try one with your coffee today? I'd be like, no, I don't want a Biscoff right now. That's not a good fit. But on a plane, it's the right fit. For whatever reason, they have figured out the right fit. A word fitly spoken is like garlic fries at a Mariners game. Listen, if you're going to a Mariners game, you get the garlic fries. Now, garlic fries outside of a Mariners game, you're a monster, and that's disgusting. And your breath reeks for three days, and your fingers are gross. You really want to do that to the people that you love? Don't do that. But if it's at a Mariners game, then yeah, dig in, dude. Go for it. A word fitly spoken is like cold beer on a Friday night or Sunday night or a Monday night. Or, and I know some of you are thinking, I thought I was going to say uh, a pair of jeans that fit just right, but that's country music. And even in that, country and music, those two things shouldn't go together. So that's part of it itself. That's the, that's the anti-alternative for this sort of thing. Oh, little mixed reactions in the 11 o'clock. Note to self, no digs on country music at 11. Listen, I think for a long time, it's been a priority to say the right thing at the right time and to be specific. I, I, I think in your relationships, if you want this thing to succeed, if you want to be... Um, uh, if you want to in, in, engage in quality, intimate relationships, then speaking up about all of the different things and speaking with specificity and not vagueness and being like this, this right here, this needs work. We got to talk about this. Not everything, don't get overwhelmed with this, but this right here. I want you to be great at relationships and a big head start is being willing to talk with specifics, being precise in your language because some things in life are worth fighting for. And a word fitly spoken is like all of the things that you love in the right time, in the right place. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> uh, like for some of us, this uh, might be a timely thing because we are in the midst of a relationship and we fought on the way here, <laughs> probably fighting on the way home. Uh, and this idea of speaking up about it we hate talking about it because it just proves that something's broken and, and not good, but we know it's the right move, and to talk about it only reveals how much we care about it because we think that this is worth fighting for. I don't want to get to the spot where this doesn't bother me because that means that I'm not in this thing like I should be. So whether we're in that relationship right now and it's like a needed thing, or we're in a relationship, but it's like feels like honeymoon period, even though we've been married forever, and it's great. And maybe we, maybe this is uh, something good to tuck away for future reference or whatever. Or maybe we're not even in some sort of relationship. Someday we will be, and we'll experience in the pain of either a breakup and or a conversation that goes down that road, where it's like, are we going to make this thing work? Because the reality is, all relationships are chaotic. There's an underlying chaos of all of it because. Every single person is complex. Uh, grant us the awareness when things are going smoothly to enjoy that because we know that that's not typical and that's a rare fleeting moment and that we should embrace it and, and love it. But then give us the strength to be able to fight through 
those times when it's not so smooth sailing and it does require work and it does require maintenance um, because we live with the conviction that it's worth it. So give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard the courage to act on it in your name. Amen.